Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Olark in San Francisco is looking for a senior UX designer. We've also got positions from Society of Grownups, Buffer, and here at Revision Path, we're looking for staff writers. So check out the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just want to talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. MailChimp also recently announced MailChimp Pro, which is a powerful set of new tools for advanced users. You can check those out and sign up for a free account at MailChimp.com. Need a new domain for your next project? Then check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. They've also got this great feature called Hover Connect, where any of the Hover domains that you buy, you can automatically connect them to popular services like Squarespace, Tumblr, and Shopify for free. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today. Use our promo code GIVETHANKS, all one word, and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more, starting at only $2 per item. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday. Of course, today is Monday. And they've got great bundle promotions every month. And if you see something else that you like, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. Alright, here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So right now, we are up to 26 patrons for a combined total of $189 per month. A huge thanks to all of you that have already donated and pledged your support and appreciation for the show. It does mean a lot. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some really great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, or a monthly Google Hangout with me and other Revision Path supporters, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month. Now for this week's interview. I talked with designer and art director Carissa Hempton, one half of the design studio known as A Civil Fox. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Carissa Hempton. I'm an art director and designer. My husband, Paul, and I, a studio called A Civil Fox, which we run out of our home in the Woodlands, Texas, which is a suburb right outside of Houston. Where did you get the name A Civil Fox? I like that name. I just, I'm just Thanks. curious where that came from. Yeah, that when we started brainstorming, we just kind of started making all these word maps. And I was really interested in the empathy aspect of design. And so my husband has a writing, an English background. So he does writing and copywriting for us. So he's the English guy. So I was like, so I want to evoke a feeling of doing service for people and what we do, having some kind of like civil or community or, or something like that. 
And so the word civil came about. And then he said that he liked the word fox just because he liked the word fox. And of course he does because it's like a super, <laughs> it's a super trendy name, I think, right now. And so we, mm-hmm. we kind of combined the two. And I think the combination was nice. The idea being that a fox has the tendency to be kind of smart and sly and strategic. And the word civil has a softer, kinder feel to it. So we liked the juxtaposition of those two words coming together to kind of describe what we do and and also who we are as people and, and designers. I also like the motto on the website that says, heartfelt, headstrong design. Like those are really powerful kind of visual words. Thank you. Yeah. That's another way for us to describe the word civil and fox coming together and the background behind what we were thinking when we we paired those two words. Thank you. Oh, no problem. So how did you two get the idea to start this together? I had been working for a small design firm in Houston called Deuce Creative for about nine years and then took a maternity leave to have my daughter, who's two years old now. And right after she was born, I got the call that they were closing their doors, (laughs) to my surprise. So I had to think about what I wanted to do really quickly because I had a three-week-old. And I'm very, very passionate about what I do. And I was kind of freaking out. My husband suggested that this actually might be a really positive thing at the time that it was happening because he knew that I would most likely be very nervous to go back to work with my with my daughter in childcare or just missing her. And so it was great. So we decided just let's go ahead and try to start a company. I had gained the skills working in a small design agency. You learn a lot about how to where you see how businesses are run, small businesses are run. So I felt relatively confident, but still scared. And he said that he would help me out with bookkeeping and writing and all the things that aren't my strong suit. So, so it it worked out well. Yeah. That seems like a lot to, to go into. I mean, it's one thing to sort of start a new business when you know that you're about to be laid off, but then sort of, like you said, you're starting it with your husband So there's that sort of juxtaposition of work and personal. And then you also have a young child. Mm -hmm. Yes. And my stepson's 10. (laughs) Oh, wow. It was a lot of new things at once. But at that time, the adrenaline was just flowing. Like I think back two years ago and I'm like, I have, you know, sometimes time just kind of goes by so fast. And when you're so busy, you don't even like. When you have to recall how things evolved, you can't even do it because it was like, I don't know. It's like I blinked and then here we are now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know exactly what that's like. Yeah. And so it sounds like it's been pretty lucrative so far. You've made the most of the situation together. Kind of tell me what's a typical day like for you? A typical day is I like to get up very early before everyone else gets up to kind of go into my day without interruption. So while it's, while it's silent. So I've recently started meditating. So I try to do about 15 minutes of meditation in the morning and then get ready and then go downstairs to our studio office and then work from around 7am to 3pm. And at three, I have a very hard stop. Like a, my daughter wakes up from her nap and it's just 
me and her <laughs> until seven, seven thirty when we start getting her ready for bed and we kind of switch during the weekdays. My husband cares for our daughter all day until 3 p.m. He goes and picks up our son from school. And then it's my turn with our daughter. So we're always playing like a switcheroo <laughs> mm-hmm. on those days. But yeah, typically it's nice to be able to determine my own hours and get off work at 3 p.m. and get a lot of work done in those morning hours before a lot of like the corporate and I guess regular world out there, like the client world is up and at their computers, which usually the emails start coming around nine. (laughs) Yeah. So I know that I have a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening to the show. So I do want to just ask you just things about the business itself. What would you say is probably the hardest part of your job of what you do? The thing I struggle with the most is planning for having enough work or having too much work or I mean sometimes I am lucky enough to have too much work that I can can say you know no I might not be able to take certain smaller projects on that have quick turnarounds but then I second guess myself I'm like well should I take that on because what if you know like what Mm -hmm. if I'm slow and it's just kind of balancing the amount of time that I have to do work, which is, is very, it's set and all the things that I would like to do. And then also um, kind of managing the day and managing client expectations, because since it's just me, as opposed to, you know, I have an, an a, a design, a small agency background when one person was very busy, then the other person could kind of take something of theirs on and there could be some shuffling. So I'm not, I don't have the luxury to shuffle. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the thing. It's, there's a lot of trying not to be so fearful anymore, but there's, there's some fear that's around not knowing if you're going to have enough work to pay the bills. And, but so far, I've been very, very, very lucky with, with the amount of of client work that I've been given and then also trying to alleviate some of that fear with doing side projects to help creatively and then hopefully build up to where we have some sort of income coming on the side if Mm -hmm. we have a slow period in client work. Yeah, with with entrepreneurship, it's feast or famine. Mm -hmm. It it really is. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of segues into another question I wanted to ask is sort of, how do you find new clients? How do you find work? Are you networking or people just coming in through the website? What's the best way that clients are sort of coming to your business? So far, it's been word of mouth. And then relationships that I had previously working for the company I worked for. So for example, one of my clients, Consequence of Innovation, is a former boss of mine. And she decided to start her own independent consulting, brand consulting company. And we collaborate on a lot of projects. So that relationship fostered into this new relationship that we have where we're two independents working together on with, for some of her clients. And then I have, I'm really, really involved with AIGA, the Houston chapter. And through that involvement on the board and then also just meeting people out at our events, Meeting other freelancers, meeting other small business owners that sometimes aren't able to take on client work that they think might be a good fit for me. And then them 
asking me if I'd like to take it. And if I, if I would, then they'll refer somebody to me. And then additionally, friends that I have a lot of friends that have small businesses that are in the industry that we're targeting, which are creatives and creative entrepreneurs. So through, through them and referrals from them, we've been, we've been pretty lucky to keep, to keep going. I think our website helps showcase the work we do, the kind of design we do and for whom, and the style, uh, that, and our style. So when you mention a good fit in, in terms of clients, what are the best types of clients for a civil fox? The best types of clients for a civil fox are mid-size to small in size and also have some sort of creative aspect to what they're doing, whether that's in food or design, photography. We're very, very passionate about culture and the creative industry. And so when we were thinking about where we should focus, we were like, well, let's focus with what we're passionate about, what we're always like looking online at, like all the blogs that we follow, all the things that interest us in the art world. And so it seemed like a natural fit. And then also people that are good communicators and have a sensibility of what it's of the process of design in some aspect. So maybe this isn't the very, very, very first time they're doing a brand identity. Maybe they're doing a refresh. This is their second go at it. That would be a really good fit for us because there's not so much of a learning curve and they've gone through a series of maybe some DIY and now they're ready. They've set aside a budget (laughs) to pay maybe not a small design firm, but an independent creative director. Well, good communication is so important for clients because oftentimes a lot of what I think freelancers, entrepreneurs are trying to do is really sort of explain the design process and explain how it's all going to work together. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes clients, you know, they may come to a, a firm and they just need something done. They don't necessarily know how it gets done or what process or what they have to put into it. They just need it done. So it's good that you sort of have that as a key tenant, that they have to have that good communication to really be able to tell you what it is they want and not just kind of looking at you and what you do as just a set of hands to complete a a task. Right, right. And also, too, I mean, we love problem solving and we love to talk. So and we welcome client feedback because no matter what it is, they are the most knowledgeable about their business than anybody. They might not be as knowledgeable about what's the best, sometimes the best way to attract customers but they know what they do. They know their products. So we love the collaborative aspect of working with other creatives because it's not like we don't sit there and be like, you shouldn't be doing this and we know better. We really do try to get them to kind of talk with us about what's not working so we can try to solve their problems together collaboratively. So how is it? Well, I guess when a new client comes to you, how do you approach a new project? Typically, we determine if they're a good fit. And if they are, then we meet, we discuss maybe what's not working, what are their needs, and then talk about what we feel would be like a solution to the problem. And then from there, then we go on with, you know, maybe a more in-depth interview, like a creative briefing. And then so we can get some more details about 
the tone, their audience, like must-haves, things that they don't ever want to see. And that way we can strategically, we can avoid having to go back and doing tons and tons and tons of revisions. So a lot of communication up front and a lot of planning up front. And then we start with the overall concept and creative direction. So if it's, say, you know, like a brand identity and package design, then we start gathering paper texture samples or color palette selections, typographic selections, like all the little small detail pieces that will, that will evoke the tone that we're going for. Maybe there's some other examples of inspiration out there that they have, that they show us, that we put together. And then once we have that approved, then we can kind of continue on with the, the process of designing the more minute details, like laying out the content. During that time of the gathering and presentation of the aesthetics, we're asking them to prepare if they have existing content or if they have things that are required, asking them to organize and gather that. So trying to make the best use of time when we're doing something, then the client is also needing to do, needing to do something. And then it just kind of goes from there. Then we start implementing content. If we're having to write something, we, we start working on the writing. And then after that, and hopefully design is approved, then we go into production or development. What would you say are the most important lessons you've learned since becoming an entrepreneur? I have the tendency to, I think most designers have the tendency to be so focused on work and our craft and perfecting it that we, I, at least I sometimes in the past have like maybe taken it a little bit too far. Whereas the balance of everything that has to be done to run the business doesn't allow for maybe me to spend as much time as I did when I worked for somebody else just on design. So kind of the challenge being balancing business and the creative aspects of it, making a lot of my time doing design is, is less spent on the computer. There's a lot of sketching that I might do when I'm not over the weekend or just thinking, internalizing, going out and like taking walks, getting inspiration because I know my computer time is very limited. I know exactly what you mean when you're talking about kind of balancing that business and creative. And that's something that I had to really sort of come to terms with, with my business is knowing when to stop, mm -hmm. especially when you're on a, on a concept and you're working and refining it. And the way that I at least started to reconcile, and it's probably not the best way, but the way that I reconcile it is, you know, the client doesn't necessarily know how much work you've put into it. And there's probably a good chance they don't really care. They're more concerned about kind of the end product. Mm -hmm. And so you can spend two hours on it or 20 hours on it. To them, it's going to look the same, if that makes any sense. Right. Right. And it's interesting because, you know, the more experience I feel that I've gained, I'm faster at the technical aspects of it. But the value that I bring comes from the idea and the look and feel. So I can never turn my brain off <laughs> thinking about ideas. <laughs> 
And, and, and then once there, it's time to implement them, I can do them relatively fast. You know, that's like another reason why we charge a flat fee as opposed to an hourly rate. Because if I chose hourly rate, then I'd be getting paid less and less and less and less the more experience <laughs> I got. I'm like, okay, I just, like once I get on the computer and I can like produce it, it goes really fast now compared to, compared to before. But yes, yes, the ideas is the thing that takes up all the time. Yeah. Where do you get inspiration for your designs? I mean, I know if you were talking about with a client, of course, the inspiration kind of comes from what they're doing. But just in general, when it comes to you designing, where does your inspiration come from? It comes from everywhere. I wish I had a lot more time to do as much exploring as I did before my daughter. But I go see a lot of exhibits, art exhibits, and... I spend a lot of time online looking at well, not just imagery, but looking at the work of some of photographers and artists and textile designers. I'm very inspired by color. So any like and textile and pattern design, all those things just get all mashed up, <laughs> mashed up in my brain and then inspire me creatively. Earlier, you mentioned side projects. Talk to me kind of about the importance of you having side projects, even with, you know, all the work that you're doing through a civil fox. We've been hearing a lot about designers that take on side projects, and I've never had the time to do it. And then I hit kind of a semi-slow period, maybe about a year about a year ago. And I was like, you know, I've always wanted to do a side project and I'm obsessed with paper and printing and color and and always have been. So we started working on a, like a series of small run limited edition notebooks Hmm. for designers. And, but yeah, it's been very important because it's something that I can do when time is slow and it helps with, with motivation. It helps with like, it's nice to feel that we're building our own product that could be of yeah. use to other people. And, and that's 100% our vision because I love working with clients and making their products and brands come to life and making them beautiful and functional. But at the end of the day, I have a very deep creative soul <laughs> and it's fulfilling to a certain point. So therefore having the side project not only will hopefully be help economically, but more most importantly be a way to be a creative outlet that that I can do something that nobody is telling me, can you make this a little bigger? You know, I can have the type as small as I want <laughs> given certain restrictions with printing, but but yeah. Earlier, you also mentioned that you were part of AIGA's uh, Houston chapter. You're the membership director, is that right? No, I was the membership director. I've had a couple roles all on the mem- okay. all on the membership side of the board. When I was first recruited by our president, Andy Rich, who is awesome, four years ago, he recruited me for the director of emerging membership. And at the time, we had another director of veteran membership, and then just kind of my position evolved into the overall membership director because of some kind of changes on the board. And I held that position for about two years until my daughter was born. And I felt like I needed to take something had to give because my threshold was at 
above capacity as far as time. And so I demoted myself to associate director of emerging membership. So went back to the, to the emerging membership part of the board with a little, uh, like a few less responsibilities. And what does the associate director of emerging membership do? Is that just sort of recruiting people or does more come into that? Yeah, it's, it's recruitment, it's informing, and also making the membership experience, the AIGA membership experience, better for our emerging members, which we classify as uh, college students and designers up to four years out of college. So young designers, we try to make sure we're reaching out to them. We do student visits to the local colleges in Houston and talking about AIGA, how they can get involved, talking about some of our programming or benefits that might, that are more specific to them, and was part of the formation of Design Loop, which is AIGA Houston's mentorship program, which has been very, very successful. It's probably my most, like, proud career moments to, (laughs) or highlights to have been part of the Design Loop program. Nice. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, it was it's three years, we're three years in, and, and basically we, we pair 10 emerging designers with 10 professionals in the Houston area. It's a four-month-long program during the summer, and we host one event per month and then also encourage them to meet together throughout their mentorship. It's nice to make those connections and have a small, intimate group of, of designers, young and seasoned <laughs> to to move forward. Now, I know that when we spoke earlier, you mentioned that you had just finished up with Houston Design Week. Please tell me how Houston Design Week went. Houston Design Week was awesome. <laughs> and as a AIGA member and a board member, there's a period where exhaustion <laughs> set in, <laughs> but <laughs> but it was great. We had a ton of speakers from all over. We had a, one speaker, or we had one event every night for nine days straight. Wow. We welcomed, so the way it worked is our, our board divided up into teams, and each team dealt with two days of design week. So my team was the opening night, which was Louise Feely and Stephen Heller. And then we hosted a family day at the Contemporary Arts Museum in Houston, in which we had activities for young kids doing, like making their own custom design textiles on on tote bags. So yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. We also welcomed Eddie Opara was the final speaker of the week, and his talk was just fantastic. I saw that he was there. Did you get a chance to speak to him? Yes, I, I met him briefly, and he's super nice, like very down to earth, so excitable. I mean, just... A very, very nice guy. I am trying so hard to get him on the show. Like, (laughs) you have no idea. I would love to have him on the show. That would sort of check that off my bucket list if I was able to make that happen. That would be awesome. I can imagine he is a very, very busy. I mean, the projects that he talked about were just not only beautiful, but just seemed the scale of them seemed so out of this world to me. And he'd say something like, and we had 30 days to do it. (laughs) (laughs) At the the end of the project description, he was like, and we did it in 30 days. (laughs) 
<laughs> so what is Houston's design scene like? I mean, you, you probably have a very unique perspective being part of AIGA Houston's board, but how would you describe it to someone from the outside? The design scene, it's very diverse. And over the Houston has seen a kind of boom in the creative industry and actually in a lot of industries because our economy is going pretty well here and has been and kind of with we're able to withstand the recession quite well. So we see a lot more as now as compared to maybe five plus years ago, there are more and more people that I see at AIGA and design related events in town that are like, you know, I just moved from New York. I just moved from all over the place to Houston because I could find a job here. And so, so we have a lot of excitement around the creative industry right now. A lot of new businesses coming up, a lot of new entrepreneurs, and it's nice. It's nice and fresh and People are super friendly here. And the thing about Houston is that it's very big and it's very spread out. And for everybody that lives inside of what we call the loop in Houston proper, there's the same amount of people that live in the outskirts, like me, for example. So so there's a lot going on. And to where I can go to design events and still everybody I talk to might be somebody I've never seen before. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And we have the industry here is very diverse. Our medical industry is very big. We have the Texas Medical Center and MD Anderson had basically like main hospital is in Houston. And then also the oil and gas industry is very, very big here. So in the creative community, I'd say a third of the designers in the greater Houston area are in-house designers. They work in-house at a lot of these large corporations and large institutions and businesses. So it's nice to have a group of creatives that are all coming from different perspectives as far as what they do. So what kind of keeps you motivated and inspired with all the work that you do? I mean, you're doing this business, of course, you've got your family, and then you're also doing work with AIGA. What keeps you going? No, I have, <laughs> I have a problem with stopping. I have a problem with not going. So I don't know if it's, I think it's something that's just been instilled in me, the motivation to always do better than I did the day before and better than mm-hmm. I did last year. Like I'm always trying to, to top everything almost to a fault. My husband's always saying like, you're going to get to a certain point <laughs> to where you're not going to be able to do more. <laughs> and so, and, and, you know, I think maybe it comes from my parents. My parents were just like never settled for anything less than their best. And I think it's the same for a lot of people. They get their work ethic and their, their work values from some type of mentor growing up, whether it's their parents or somebody else that was a family member or a friend or somebody they saw. Well, speaking of mentors, did you have any that were growing up? I mean, you mentioned your parents. I feel like I've had a lot. I never really had a mentor, like like when I was talking about like the mentorship program, like a, a certain professional that mm-hmm. has served as a mentor. But I feel like in every part of phase of my life, there's been 
somebody that I've really looked at and seen a quality in them that I wanted to have for myself. Growing up, it was my mom and dad. They were like the epitome of like what it would be like to be a professional. Of course, I did not. They were both math people. And my dad was an engineer at NASA Johnson Space Center. And my mom is an educator. She's been like a math teacher and counselor and consultant oh. and textbook author. And nice. I did not go into that industry. But <laughs> I mean, I really looked up to to everything that they did. After that, there have been just in general, like this is, I'm kind of retracting, but my husband and I met at a bar in Houston called Poison Girl, and then eventually ended up both working at that bar while we did our other jobs. I was working at a design studio and he was working at his full-time job doing logistics, but just because we became friends with the owners who are some of the nicest people I've ever met. And I remember even though, you know, we were just bar backing and working the door and you see the way certain people communicate with the people that they employ and with the patrons and their clients and customers, it wasn't the industry that I was in. It, you know, it wasn't design. It was, it was the bar industry, but I was like, that's how I want to be. Like, that's how I want to be as kind of empathetic and, and successful and passionate about work and people as Don and Scott are, Miriam and Scott are. So there've just been, there've been lots of other instances like that in life. And I have to say my husband has been in my adult life, probably the biggest mentor for me because every problem I have or every challenge I'm facing just he either helps me or he shows me just through his day-to-day -day actions and conversations and how he deals with things. He's a remarkable human being. <laughs> Would you say that you're satisfied creatively? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very satisfied creatively, especially recently working on this side project print prologue. It's, it's a place that I always really wanted to be. And I'm actually starting to see see things happen. It's not launched yet, but you know, even if it doesn't go anywhere, at least I'm making something that I really like. So outside of the print prologue notebooks that you're making, what's your favorite notebook? Okay, so this one's hard because I collect <laughs> I collect a lot of notebooks and I don't even know if I would be a good person to say which one is the best because I almost refuse to write in any of them. So I like them all for different reasons. Right now, the notebooks that I use the most are by a company in Detroit called Shinola. Mm, I've heard of them. Leather goods and bicycles and really finely crafted notebooks. So yeah, that's my favorite. That's the one that I use. That's the one that I use the most, but I love them all. I have a collection of my mom's and dad's notebooks from when they were my age and all like, I'm like, I go back and read them all the time. Like all their notes, like my dad's notes from NASA and like all these meetings that he was taking notes in, which is crazy. My dad passed away when I was 15. And so it's a nice, so flipping through his notebooks have been somewhat of a huge inspiration for print prologue. What's something important that you know now that you didn't learn when you were in school? One of the most important things is everything that has to be considered 
for something to be produced in either a high quantity, whether it's for print or for a large audience, if it's for web. In school, you're very much focused on, yeah, I mean, you focus, you are learning graphic design to develop identities and products and communications for audiences, but you're not tasked with actually doing it so often. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's like going to Space Center Houston and going into the rocket space simulator <laughs> and, you know, like, quote unquote, going to space and then like actually being an astronaut and like being one of the most brilliant minds and bodies in the world and actually going into space and like putting on a spacesuit that weighs 130 pounds and feeling what that feels like. So yeah, it's the scaling up of an idea. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, I mean, and I don't mean just in an entrepreneurial sense, but if you weren't a designer, what do you think you would be doing instead? Could I be any other type of designer? <laughs> like a fashion designer? No. Sure, I always, we'll say that. Yeah. yeah growing that. up, I wanted to be a fashion designer. I would like look at all the fashion editorials in our Houston Chronicles Sunday newspaper and like sketch the pictures of the edit fashion editorials. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I would be. Probably something in a creative field. I love taking pictures, but I always say I don't, I could never be a photographer because it's like, you know, it's hard. Graphic design is the only one, the only part of the artistic world where I can do, I can like let go of the control because Mm -hmm. it's for somebody else. But like with photography and any other type of, any other art form, it would seem so hard to have to do it commercially. Like even as a fine artist or an art photographer, at a certain point, I mean, unless you're, I mean, I don't know how the best ones get their breaks or like you really, really have to work hard to get to a point to where you can do what you want. At least with design, like we have the the luxury of having things that we do what we want, but then doing things for other people that will pay us. <laughs> What advice would you give to someone that was just starting out in design? I would tell them that, well, I guess I'd tell them a couple things. One would be to, as far as the business of design, whether they're working for somebody, be professional. Show up early to appointments, email people, thank yous, follow up on conversations with people that you meet. If even if something like goes wrong or some, there's some sort of communication follow-up, like don't be afraid to say that you're sorry you messed up and always foster really good professionalism and communication from a design specific standpoint. It would be to, it's easy to, I think once you get out of school to start a position at a design agency or an in-house design department And because you have to show up to work at a certain time and sit in front of your computer all day, and that's what's expected of you, you lose sight of all the things that were inspiring and all the processes that you did when you were in school to make something by hand. So my advice would be to, yes, I know you have to go and sit in front of your computer, but do whatever you need to do, even if it's taken an hour before you get to work or one or two hours on the weekend to really start thinking about design and thinking about what you're going to do for a project before it's time to sit down at the computer. Because, I mean, the computer is just a tool 
to execute an idea. Yeah. It's just like, I, I can't remember what the, who said it. I just saw a quote the other day where somebody compared the computer is to design as a microwave is to cooking. So taking the time outside of the screen to design. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? That's a really difficult question. I don't see myself very far from where I'm at right now. My family is very important to me, and I don't see myself kind of steering anywhere from, you know, like my location or having my own business. I aspire to have more time, <laughs> more time to do, to, to have, to have fun and be inspired and then be able to maybe take on fewer projects that allow me to really focus my energy on and are good economically for us, but then also work on things that I'm passionate about on the side and then have a good amount of time to, to have fun and enjoy life. Well, Carissa, just to kind of wrap things up, I know we've touched on and talked about a lot, but where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Our website is a civil fox. That's a civil F O X. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at a civil fox. And then we, I just launched the splash page for print prologue and it's at printprologue.com. Yeah, I think that's it. All right. That sounds good. Well, Carissa Hempton, thank you so much for taking time out of your day for talking to me about the work that you're doing. I'm really just kind of interested in, and I, I know this sounds cliche and I didn't really want to ask this in a way that would come off as sexist because sometimes I think when guys ask that of women, like, how do you balance it all? You know what I mean? I didn't want to come off that way, but I like that you really kind of spoke to how you work with your business and you have your family and then you're doing all these other things as well. So I'm really excited to kind of see what is going to come next, particularly with these notebooks, because I'm a fan of notebooks, too. Good. So yes. I will, I'll definitely have to check out Print Prologue and see what that's all about. I'm really but, excited about that. And it's actually going to be a guide, too, for emerging this with emerging designers in mind for some of the things, the things that you'd have to consider when you're designing for print. So that should be very fun. Yeah. Thank you so, so, so much for having me. We are very happy to be part of Provision Path and so excited about all the interviews that you've done and have upcoming. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Carissa Hempton and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Carissa and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes down to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code GIVETHANKS at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, which is a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. 
head over to creativemarket.com and pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday. And if you see something else that you like, use our discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Sherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners. It helps us move up the ranks. More people can find out about the show. And I will even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit our new home over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.